Hi there, this is Paulina Cameron, CEO of The Forum, where women entrepreneurs thrive, and your host for this podcast. Welcome to season three of The Go-To for entrepreneurs in the know. The Go-To is brought to you by The Forum in collaboration with the Scotiabank Women Initiative and generously supported by the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada. I'd like to acknowledge that production of this podcast is taking place on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations. On our last season, we dove into resilience, and this season is all about the builders, the women entrepreneurs who are building businesses with big visions, building teams with great impact, building stronger communities, and growing our economy. They are the women behind the products and services that we admire. Their stories will take us on a journey and give us a peek into what's happening behind the scenes with their businesses at this critical stage of their growth, and will bring forward great nuggets of applicable wisdom and a solid dose of inspiration. Let's dive in. Okay, and just before we dive in, listen up. At the end of the season, we will be giving away a pair of Apple AirPods Pro, courtesy of our friends over at TELUS, so that you can have a delightful podcast experience on the go. All you have to do is enter to share your feedback. What did you love? What would you love to see going forward? Who would you like to hear from? Submit your thoughts at theforum.ca slash feedback and we will draw one lucky winner at the end of the season. Salima Visram is the founder of Samara, a brand focused on finding the best materials and making the world better through fashion. Samara was launched three years ago with $500 and a production run of 10 bags, and now has sold over 150,000 products, creating impact with every purchase through an initiative Salima started prior to Samara, the Solar Backpack. Solar provides children in East Africa, where Salima grew up, with solar-powered backpacks so that they can do their homework every night without the use of carcinogenic kerosene lamp. Salima is also a previous pitch for the purse semi-finalist. Okay, Salima, I know that the story of how you started your business was so important and has such meaning to it. Can you tell us about the very beginnings? What was your first product idea? Yeah, so I grew up in Kenya. And while I was growing up there, um, we lived beside a village where 22,000 people live below the poverty line. And while I was there, I really, my parents always made sure that I was extremely aware that I was very lucky to never go a day without food or water. Um, I had a great education to fall back on, and that came with a huge responsibility. And so I knew a lot of kids my age who weren't able to go to school. They didn't have the same privileges that I had. Um, And my goal was always to come back to Kenya, work at the UN, and create impact through policy that way. And so I went to McGill to study international development. And while I was there, I was learning a bunch of theory and it was great. But I was like, I really want to do something and um, create impact back home. 
And around the same time, my mom was telling me about how there were a lot of kids who weren't able to go to school at the time. They were using this thing called kerosene, which is carcinogenic. It's um, a flame that 1.2 billion people rely on as their source of light every night. And it's just not good for your health. It, it, families living under a dollar a day spend 25% of their income on it. And so I was like, hmm, like I want to do something about this. And that's how 25% of their income. Wow. Yeah. On something that's carcinogenic and something that is like it, like entire villages and homes burn down every year when these lamps are knocked over. Um, mm -hmm. And so I spent the last year at McGill just creating the solar backpack, which is essentially a backpack with a solar panel on it. And it enables kids in East Africa to do their homework every night without the use of kerosene. And so they carry it to school during the day, it charges a lamp, and then they come home and they have access to clean, safe light every night. Um, and that went really well. We ended up working with Disney. We have a factory in Kenya that produces them. But now, but at the time, I was like, I, I want to find a way to keep this going in a sustainable way. Um, so in 2017, um, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. She passed away. And that was an extremely hard time for me. And um, mm. I was just feeling a lot of like, I want to channel all this energy and all the, everything that I was feeling into building something that could sustain solar. And at the same time, I was looking for a bag, very trivial problem. I couldn't find one that I liked. And um, I was like, I'll just make it and see what happens. And so I created it. And we put it online. I started with $500, a production of 10 bags, and those sold out overnight. And so I was like... So, so you started 500 bucks. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. I had $500 in my account. And I was like, I'm going to put it all towards um, just starting a Shopify store. And I think like there's so much you can do with so little sometimes. And like it's so easy to forget that. Um, but yeah, my sister joined me a year and a half later. So this was in 2019. And we've kept going ever since. Um, we are, our goal is to just create products that make the world better in some way. Um, we're like formerly a fashion house and we've created products out of apple leather and castor seeds, recycled ocean plastics. And our goal is just to create basic essentials that every woman needs and that, um, again, make the world better in some way. So you just mentioned apple leather. And I know what we have talked about before is like the science of materials, like what is actually good for your skin, what's good for the world and the environment, mm -hmm. but apple leather. So how did you go from, you know, drawing that first backpack <laughs> uh, to creating apple leather? And like, what is the future here? Like, what are you so interested in seeing and investing in and innovating around? Yeah, I think when I first started, I kind of just stumbled upon this idea of a bag, right? And it wasn't something that I was like, I'm going to go out and build this bag company. It was, okay, like people like this design. And so like, what what is wrong with it? And how can I make it better? And so when I first make, made it, it was entirely vegan. It was cruelty-free. But ultimately, all vegan leather is made out of plastic, and I think there's so much greenwashing happening around it and just so much greenwashing happening in the fashion industry. And mm. as we grew, like we, we realized how devastating the industry can be and how broken it is, um, how far away we as consumers are from what actually goes into the products that we wear on our skin every day and that we carry around. And so as we were growing, we realized that it was also our responsibility to try and do better and look for better solutions. Um, and that's how this idea of finding a better leather came about. 
Um, I was experimenting with coconut leather at some point in my kitchen and we tried with pineapple leather, but that didn't give us the luxury feel that we wanted. Um, and then we found apple leather at this small factory in Europe. Um, and we decided we would test it out, see how it went and people loved it. And so that was the beginning of this whole material science aspect of the company where we really hope to go into even more over the next few years and really be a leader in finding these raw materials or these natural resources that can be turned into fashion products or clothing or just stuff that's better for you. So one of the things I so I find so amazing about you and your businesses, Salima, is I mean you're you're a true social entrepreneur at heart. And what's incredible is you're running two businesses right now. You run the Samara Backpacks and and the company that produces those as a nonprofit, and then you run Samara Bags, a for profit direct to consumer brand. I want to ask how you think about that, like, and how does the relationship between those two companies work? You're not a one for one model, but I. I know that um, some profit from Samara goes to supporting the work of Solar. So tell us a bit about how that relationship works, how you've set it up, and why you think it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think for me, when I started Samara, it was because I really wanted to keep Solar going. And I was intrigued by this idea that brands have so much power. And I truly believe that like brands and businesses have so much power to do the right thing and to build our community around something that truly matters and to just find like-minded people to bring together. And so I, I never take that lightly. And I, I really believe that as we grow Samara, it can be this force um, to create good in the world and to, to act as this force of impact. And so that was always like, that was, that's ingrained in the DNA of the company. And I think it's something that we hope we can scale as we grow um, but in terms of how we work together, it's um, solar was always set up as a not-for-profit. So the solar backpack is um, set up as a not-for-profit. Samara is the for-profit arm. And then Samara right now um, gives 10% of profits back to solar. So my goal was to keep solar running um, on its own and kind of like Keep, like create this ecosystem where we can keep both things running sustainably and in a way that can create meaningful impact. And so for me, this was the best way to set it up. Um, I mean, hopefully as we grow, we can scale solar even more as well. And I think a lot of our customers love the story and are aware that that is a part of our brand and our mission. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope that answers your question, but um, I think the Long story is long story short is that it's just our goal to create impact in the world and solar right now is the best way for us to do that. When you were setting those up and kind of as you continue to grow both of those, do you feel like there are any trade-offs that come with it? I know for some folks who might not be as steeped in kind of the using business as a vehicle for impact or change, there can be a sense of um, concern that maybe you're trading off, I don't know, either timeline of growth or possible funding avenues. How have you thought about that? Yeah, I think at the beginning, it was actually a lot easier to do that because it was just a simple 10% of profits. But now as we're looking to grow and scale Samara, it's definitely something that I think about. And um, I wish we could do more than 10%. And that is definitely the goal in the future. But because we're bootstrapped and we're entirely like, we've not taken a, a penny of 
outside capital or venture funding, um, it does mean that we have to be more cognizant of where every dollar is going. Um, but at the same time, I think like as we as we grow, it's the trade-offs aren't. I think a lot of people think that you have to um, give away a certain amount in order to be a social business. But I think there's so many other ways you can do that. Like it doesn't. If you're tied up on cash, it could just be as a business. Like you do have a lot of power in terms of the choices that you're making and. Whether that's to do with the materials you use or the suppliers or the factories you use, I think something I love to say is just always ask for more and like demand more from everyone, like everyone you're working with. Ask for certifications, ask whether they're um, abiding by the certain law that prohibits children under a certain age to work at the factory. Or if you're in any industry, I always think it's possible to do more. And so just push your factories in the right direction, push all the stakeholders at every point in your supply chain, whether you're in the food business or you're in the ceramics business, there's always ways to um, use your brand and your company as a vehicle to create impact. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of money, because I know that that is always hard, especially if you're um, growing fast. I really love that because we really we vote with our dollars, but we also vote with the decisions that we make, our supply chains, our production change, the chains, the manufacturing. That's so spot on. I love that advice. Ask for more. Ask for that certificate and what and ask them to step up. And you never know, you know, you might be working with someone who maybe isn't there yet, but is willing to get there. Exactly. Like there's so many factories that we've worked with that I think we've opened their eyes to like what what does it mean? Like do you have do you provide meals for your factory workers. One of our factories has started um, providing meditation and yoga classes during lunchtime for their workers. And it's it's just about like moving the entire industry forward one step at a time. And you can't take on the whole industry, like absolutely not. But it's about the little things, right? And we always say consumers are the ones that vote with their dollars. But it's actually companies also that have the power to vote with their dollars. And that's at a larger scale too. That's really really beautiful. I, the image of you know providing those kind of breaks in a in an industry that's not necessarily known for its humanity, um, for a business you know to have that kind of impact. That's so powerful. Hopefully, we can scale it as we grow too. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about that growing. So I know you want your business to be the next Patagonia. Tell us more what that will look like. Take us down the road. Yeah, I mean, I think something I realized through working with solar was that it's one thing to give a child a light. And I loved that. And I think it creates so much impact. We've done a lot of social impact studies. And um, it's great because it empowers the child. But in order for the child not to even be in that position in the first place, it means giving their parents better employment. And if a parent is given better employment, it means they will be able to afford electricity for their child and health insurance and a good education and food and water. Um, and so how do we create this ecosystem or this like holistic approach to uplifting people from poverty? And in our eyes, it's providing better employment. And so ultimately, the goal with Samara is to build factories and to work with factories that do provide the best form of employment um, on the continent. And ideally for us, that would be in Africa because that's where we're from. Um, but yeah, when I look at the future of Samara, it's this ecosystem and this machine that just creates impact at every level from down from like the 
the way the farmers cultivate our crops that go into our products and how they are treated, um, all the way like to the factory worker who's making the bag and then to the, the child care that's provided at that factory when the factory worker is working, um, the meals that are provided that actually nourish the entire family and the way the garment is made, the way the clothes are then shipped and the way it also sits and um, does good for the person who wears it. And so how can we create things that are actually beneficial for your body and for the person who is ultimately wearing it all the time? And and then what can we do after that? Like after the end of life of the, of the product or the purchase or um, whatever we create and how do we create a whole cycle of impact at every step? And so um, I think that is the ultimate long-term goal. Obviously, it's going to take a really long time to get there. We're definitely not perfect yet. And these are all just dreams and goals. Um, but we hope that we can, um, as we grow, just hit those milestones slowly. I see that vision. I see that vision. It is so powerful. I mean, talking about it from even, you know, building the new factories to the impact on the farmers, that is so incredible. And so such a holistic way to think about it too. Not just, you know, we're going to scale our D2C brand to sell X million a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's there's that side too, right? Because it's there's that side that makes the other side possible. Um, and you can't have one without the other. And so I think that's something we struggle with a lot. Like, what should you focus on at every mm -hmm. given step of or every given step of the way or every part of the process? It's like they kind of have to both go hand in hand and grow at the same time. Um, and you can't neglect one or the other. But ultimately, you have to keep the lights on as a business as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I want to shift a little bit and ask about you as an entrepreneur. So you talked about um, kind of the beginnings in that really hard year with your mom's death, your fiance's cancer. I mean, what a year to have to um, work through. I'm curious, what? how do you take care of yourself now? What are some of the practices that you have in place to support yourself? And uh, And then moving forward, like what are you excited to learn and lean into next? I always think about this because I'm like, should I be doing more for like my own self-care and should I be focusing on myself more? But I think something something I keep coming back to is like I, yes, I do take like 20 minutes a day to meditate. And I do that before I go to bed, like without fail, because I think that that's something that just, it gives me like a good night's sleep and sleep is also something that I don't sacrifice. And I think it's super important for my body and just my mind. Um, but then the other thing is like, I, I think I'm coming to terms with the fact that if you want something so bad, it's okay to not have balance at that time. You know, like there's certain points in your life when you know, like, okay, for the next three to five years, I'm going to pour my entire heart into building Samara. Um, and that's something that I'm okay with. And I'm really like excited for. And um, yeah, there are moments where I'm like, I should be looking after myself a little more. And I do, I try to eat better and I try to work out when I can. But I think this idea of like, you have, like I cannot stick to a, a regimen of like working out every day and eating healthy every day. And I know it's super important, but it's something that I'm always trying to get better at. And um, I, I think it's, I think I, if anyone has a better answer to this, I would love to hear. But yeah, I think <laughs> in my head, I'm like, maybe for the next three to five years, I should just like give everything I have into building smart, right? And 
I think that is my number one um, priority and my number one um, just, yeah, just thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that's your North Star right now, right? And I think that the question of balance is such a nebulous one because we think it has to mean over a really short period of time. Mm -hmm. Nobody I know is balanced every day, day by day, all the day. But if you can kind of zoom out and look at it from a longer time frame, and as you said, like you kind of know, I heard you actually say what your non-negotiables are to take care of yourself. You talked about sleep Mm -hmm. and you talked about infusing, like eating well and moving your body, like and making time for it. You're not going to make be able to make time for it every single day but you're infusing it into it but you're clear on what your non-negotiable is right now and that to me feels um that feels very wise and it feels like you know yourself and also you understand the time the time of life that you are in right now it's that's the season that is what the season is about and I mean I hear so I feel so inspired when I hear you talk about your vision and that path forward it's quite tremendous. And it's so, um, it's so incredible to see you bring that to life. That means so much, Paulina. Thank you. Salima, as you've been growing, can you tell us how you've been growing your team to support both the work of Solar and Samara? Yeah. So when I first started, it was just myself. And for the first year and a half, I was doing everything. Um, I was doing the design, the like production overseeing, the color picking the emails. And sometimes when I look back at those first emails, I seriously cringe because I'm like, I don't know how I allowed those to go out. Um, But that's a sign of growth. I feel like if we don't cringe looking back at the early things, then we haven't grown. And also like, I'm always proud when I look back at those cringe things, because I think, you know what, I was not letting perfect be the enemy of good here. Like at least I was making things happen. Oh man, it was, yeah, it always makes me cringe so hard. And um, we're three years old now. So um, we're at a point where we... I think something that I'm really proud of ourselves for is just staying super scrappy. And I hope we never lose that because we've learned how to be super lean and just make do with what we have. And I think a lot of, I always say a lot of people think of us as either this like little science project or this huge like multinational corporation. And we're still just a team of three and we're only three like full time. Um, we have four part time slash contractors. And it's kind of like when you when you start building a company, there's all these companies around you that have really huge teams and um, that have a lot of funding. And even as a fashion brand, you're told that you need to spend a certain amount on every photo shoot and on every um, like video mm-hmm. commercial that you do. And it's like, we didn't have those resources. And so we learned to be really, really scrappy. And there is actually so much you can do um, when you are, when you do have that mindset, I think. And so I hope we never lose that. Um, As we grow, obviously now we're hiring, we're growing the team a little more. Um, But yeah, I want to be as cognizant and as intentional about that as possible, because I want to make sure that um, everyone is, is, like certain with their roles and is feeling fulfilled in that role. So, yeah. I love that. I talked to an entrepreneur once who said that her parents' philosophy was a million per person. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that culture of scrappiness can totally be one that survives as you grow. Yeah, totally that. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) 
Amazing, Salima. Well, I have so enjoyed our conversation. I am continuously inspired by how you think and the philosophy that you have around business being an actual driver for change and being the way that change can happen, both in, you know, products and the front end of the business, but equally as importantly, actually in the back end and how the industry can transform kind of from the inside, inside out, you're like a renegade on that side. And I love that. Thank you for all that you are doing. Um, Where can people find you online, learn more about you, follow you? Thank you so much. First of all, Polina, it was so nice talking to you. And I felt that since the first time I chatted with you, but Everyone can find me on Instagram at Slima Visram or on Twitter at Slima Visram One. And you can find us online at www.smartbags.com and you can use the discount code FW15 for 15% off any purchase. We're now going to take a quick pause before we hear from our next guest. The go-to for entrepreneurs in the know is the outcome of a collaboration between the Forum and the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Let's take a moment to hear about a generous supporter. The Forum is pleased to have teamed up with the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Did you know that they have an advisory board consisting of Scotiabank executives who share their expertise during mentorship advisory sessions? They cover a variety of subjects for women entrepreneurs. To join the program, go to scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join now. Being an entrepreneur is life-changing often deeply impactful and energizing, and it can also be overwhelming, lonely, and challenging. Whether you're thinking about starting your own business now, or you've been at it for years, we are here for you. We offer outcome and impact-focused programs, education designed specifically for entrepreneurs, and a deeply supportive community. Our entrepreneurs say that the highlight of their time with us is not only the tangible results they experience within themselves and their business, but also the incredible sense of community with other women who share similar goals, values, and visions. Visit us at theforum.ca slash discover to join us and learn more about how to be part of the community of education, mentorship, and support. Born and raised in Vancouver, BC, Ashley Freeborn worked in education for a decade before co-founding Smash and Test with her mother in 2016. The idea for Smash and Test rose out of Ashley's recognition of an unfilled niche in fashion, a void in the loungewear market. Bootstrapping her idea to life, Smash and Test has now grown from two employees to a team of almost 40 in just four years, and in 2020 was named by the Globe and Mail as the number one woman-founded growth company in 2020. As CEO, Ashley oversees everything from designing to financial planning to dreaming up fun and creative marketing campaigns and their give-back partnerships. Ashley recently published her first children's book, Frankie and the Magical Romper, now on sale at Chapters Indigo. Business in Vancouver named her to their 2019 Top 40 Under 40, which is actually where we met and got to celebrate together. Okay, Ashley, so your business started out with such a beautiful vision, and then it has just gone huge. (laughs) Can you tell us how has that been for you? (laughs) 
Well, it's, we always, we always say it feels like we're bursting at the seams. It's kind of how we've navigated the growth of the business in such a short period of time. It's like we kind of grow and then we kind of burst and then we kind of grow and then we burst. So there's a lot of growing pains um, that we're feeling, but at the same time, it's just so incredibly exciting. And it's, and it's so fun to come every day and have a different day than the last and a different month than the last. And it makes it really hard to have comparables because you just, it's just constantly new and evolving, but it's very exciting. And you've had a really exciting year. This year, you were named Globe and Mail's number one woman-founded growth company in 2020. Congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you. Um, and secondly, I wanted to know, like, was there a point in your business that really was kind of a pivot moment? Was there something that shifted or changed that really went from here to there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's so funny because when people think of our brand, they think that like we we set out, you know, with the romper in our first collection and actually we didn't. Um, it was our, we, we launched in spring and it was our first fall collection. So it was really early on. Um, that's when we introduced our first romper, the Sunday romper. And prior to that, we were doing kind of like PJs and loungewear and, um, and, and it was like, it took off like crazy, the Sunday romper. Um, and all of a sudden we had to pivot really fast because we were, we set out to make kind of more feminine inspired vintage sort of inspired um, loungewear. And what really, what people wanted was they wanted the romper. And so we had to make a quick decision in that moment to pivot. Um, and that really had us like exploring, well, what is it about the romper? And, and it's, it's through this sort of like back and forth with customers and understanding what they really wanted to see that really the romper revolution was formed. And the idea that women wanted something easy, one piece, no waistband that looked great on everybody. And so um, we really, it was kind of like a, um, a trial and error. It was kind of like it, I like to say it kind of like came together through this sort of dialogue between our community and us. So uh, we pivoted real quick, real fast. <laughs> rompers it was oh we went into it real hard yeah <laughs> real hard I mean everything about the romper is amazing except when you're going to the bathroom <laughs> yes yes what I really heard you say there Ashley is listening to customer feedback and like giving the people what they are asking for and I understand that you have gotten and the business has gotten really good at doing that can you tell us how you think about it and what you've put in place to kind of get that iterative feedback and keep innovating that way yeah I mean I think um I think that was the global mail's headline was like using social media as a listening device instead of a megaphone. And I think like, uh, with smash and Dust, we created this digital community early on really organically, um, by, you know, being still having that aspirational vibe of a fashion brand, but being much more inclusive and much more, um, accessible, um, because we create clothing for like every woman, um, that simplifies their lives. And with that came an incredible community where it's not one way, you know, it is a dialogue. We have, we open it up and we get tons of feedback, um, from our smash and test fam, uh, through DMS and conversations. And it's just, it's mind blowing how much, and we also have, of course, like online, we have our review system and we have emails and, and people really do reach out all the time, even with fashion, like they'll, they'll have fun ideas. Like, Hey, have you considered doing this kind of a neck with this kind of, like, I love that. Um, people share that with us because they know it matters to us. You know, we, they know that, um, we're going to take that in stride and we're going to listen to them and we're going to see like, how can we 
you know, create the, the items that people are really wanting. So that's been really important to us from the beginning. And, um, and, you know, it does get harder to maintain, like as you grow and as you scale, for sure. Like it's hard. Um, we have so many people, but I still go on to DMs every single day, all day. I'm still like getting customer service will compile the reports and give us all the responses so that we know, like, what are these, what are the trends? What are we hearing a lot about? Um, because I think that that's, that really is what, how we've sort of disrupted that sort of typical elitist fashion industry instead made something that's just much more inclusive. Mm, You touched on that elitist part. And I know that being a values-based brand is so important. And I hear that, you know, connection to community coming forward. What else for you is really a value that you bring to life through Smash and Tess? I think, you know, I was a teacher for 10 years. And so focus on community has always been really important to me. And I, and I, I didn't want it to be any different Um, when I went into, you know, the fashion industry, um, because at the end of the day, you know, without our community, we we don't really exist. And so um, I think, you know, for us, it's always been like, how can we give back? Like, how can we employ the people in our community? How can we um, give back to families and friends and, you know, different organizations um, that's, that we, we know we can make an impact if we just, you know, bring awareness via social media or like raise money or do, we've been doing these fun Instagram live, like style telethon um, and stuff where we've been able to raise funds that way through donating parts of our proceeds. So I think that like for us re- being connected has been always really important to us. And I, we think that like giving back, I mean, like I said, we wouldn't be anywhere without our smash and test fam. So giving back and we like to spread it out. Like, what can we help? How can we help? How can we, how can we focus um, our energy and our platform to really like make an impact? Um, And I think that in with COVID and um, we've seen, you know, the racial injustice of 2020 of, I mean, of forever, um, but coming to, to a head um, the way that it has. And I think um, more than ever brands had to look internally and go, what do I stand for? Like, what are my values? How do mm-hmm. I communicate that? You know, even if those are my values, am I communicating that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people, so, so, and I think people have always bought with their hearts, but now more than ever, people want to know, like, what do you stand for? Cause does, do I stand for the same? Um, and making that connection, um, when they're choosing to shop. So, um, so that's helped to like really help us refine, you know, what we're focused on and what matters to us and, and what we want to do more of and what we want to do less of. Um, and, and being really transparent about that with our community. I heard a quote once someone said that um, my purchasing power is that every dollar I spend is me putting a dollar in the future that I want to see. And I love yeah. that sentiment. And I hear you talk about that so much with the values you're bringing to life. Um, you mentioned something that I want to come back to, which is around this data, being so data driven, you know, based on c- customers that you're getting. And obviously you have to be really have a keen eye to it, especially as you're growing and probably making some really significant decisions. I'm curious, what are the mm-hmm. most key data points that you as the CEO look at most frequently and pay a lot of attention to? I mean, I definitely, I, I, I kind of like to feel my way through things. So I do like to keep my eye on just comments I see on Instagram DMs and you've got to take it with a grain of salt. You know, obviously everyone has a bad day and you can't just read one comment and be like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like, so you, have to like filter that through a like but but it is really good for me to constantly like I really like to get that qualitative 
kind of answer that, that, that helps me stay in touch. But it's not just that it's, it's, it's just a compound of like, from our wholesale, like our, our business to business partners, our retailers selling smash and test, getting their feedback, what's selling really well, what are they liking to see for colors? Um, whether it's we we have a really, um, cutting edge, um, size calculator and that's all based on customer feedback. So, um, we basically survey everybody at, at, at certain key points and ask them, what size are you wearing? How much do you weigh and how tall are you? Because we're trying to simplify that whole thing. It's like nothing worse than going shopping online. It's like, take out your measuring tape and what's your bus size and what's your, and it's like, I don't know what those measurements are. Um, but this is really easy. Put in your height, put in your weight and poof, it'll tell you like what to wear. So we're trying to utilize, and that's all customer data. That's all based on how our customers say the clothes fit them. So, um, you know, we're, that's also really important. And then at the end of the day, of course, I'm like on my Shopify app literally in the morning and at the end of the day and maybe four or five times throughout the day looking at sales, like what's moving? What are people really excited about? What colorways? What styles? Like, And I think that's tricky Like for creatives. There's so many creatives that are entrepreneurs and it's hard because you have this vision of what you think you know, the brand should look like or what the clothes should look like or what colors you think are cool. Like what colors I would wear. Honestly, some of the colors we make at Smash and Test, they're not colors that I like particularly like love, but overwhelmingly, you know, our, our customer base does. And at the end of the day, aren't we here to make clothing for, for everyone? So like, shouldn't we listen to that? So it, you kind of grapple with that stuff as a creative a lot, but I think we've learned like, you got to give the people what they want you know, like that's the moral of the story. So you better figure out avenues to have that dialogue um, so that you can deliver. Okay, Ashley, I've heard you talk a few times about Smash Fam. And I know that uh, collaborations and relationships and partnerships have been so important as you've grown your business. And, you know, from the outside in, it looks like you do them um, in a super values aligned, like full of integrity way. Um, And I know they've been also really critical to growing your business. So can you kind of take us back to how you began that process? I know you've you've worked with some incredible, um, incredible Canadian women, too, from Sarah Landry, papaya to Jillian Harris and there's all the fun things that I'm sure you get asked so much about how do you get the Burt's papaya effect or the Jilly effect so take us back to how you actually (laughs) thought about that from day one and like what did you have to do like send them a pigeon to get them involved or (laughs) (laughs) well Jill Jillian was the first and she she um we sent her a Sunday romper and um she posted it and I'll never forget I was at my in-laws house and my phone just started blowing up and it was like sale sale and I was like what is happening I don't understand what's happening and then my PR person at the time was like it's on Snapchat Jillian's wearing it on Snapchat I'm like what the heck what is the Snapchat I don't know how to use Snapchat so I'm like trying to figure it out and sure enough she had posted and she had tagged us and well it was literally such a pivotal moment um, and we started selling like crazy and that's when we started our pre-order model because we couldn't keep up with the demand and we're, we, we produced locally. And it, so it kind of, it started off really organically like that. And the thing with Jill is, is that she has just like this huge old heart. I always say that to her. She's the biggest old heart you've ever seen. And she could, she would literally help any person she could. In the, in, and what I love about her is that she really focuses on small business and she focuses on like she knows Mm -hmm. that that's where she can literally move the needle. And so she knows that and she does like she supports night and day and she has always organically grew with the brand. Like she's loved the brand from the beginning. She, her and I, you know, have chatted on, 
Instagram from the beginning. So it was a real organic connection that we had. It wasn't, I didn't, you know, come um, offering money in the beginning. I didn't have money to offer. Um, It was literally just like, you know, creating clothing, sending it to her, letting her try it. And we built this sort of connection over the years. Um, And when she said yes to a collab, which was our first really like, we had collabed with like some other brands, but this was our first kind of big influencer. And it was like, I pinched myself because I just felt like the thing with Jilly is she's just, you know, she, she, she's unencumbered. She shares what's on her heart. She, you know, and, and I love that about that because with Smash and Test, mm-hmm. we also don't take ourselves so seriously. You know what I mean? Like we just kind of are who we are and, and whether or not we fit into fashion, I, I don't know, but um, we just, we don't take ourselves so seriously either. So it felt like a really nice connection and we were able to like have fun and create clothes together. And, and then, so that's a little different because that to me is like, mm. it was, you know, it was a bit of magic that happened, I think. And I think a lot of small brands out there are like, I don't know how to like make that connection and it can be really hard. And the thing, so if I use Sarah as an example, Sarah, um, when we started chatting with Sarah, she was under a hundred thousand followers and we were just, just over, I think. And we started becoming friends and like, you know, we would send stuff and we just loved, obviously she had such a beautiful message from the mm. beginning and um, we became friends, you know, we meet, we finally met in person. We were talking the same thing. Um, we, we, you know, we just started chatting and one day over, I don't know what we were drinking. We decided that we would do a collab and Sarah Scott, I mean, she went from 70,000 followers to 1.7. I swear to God, it happened overnight. And I mean, of course it did. She's wickedly articulate. She's super smart. She, you know, amazing message. Um, and so it goes to show that sometimes I think mm-hmm. as brands, we ha- feel like we have to glom on to like these bigger influencers, but it goes to show that like, it's actually those organic connections that like start from real, like true alignment and friendship that can grow. And you don't know, like, you don't know who's going to grow. So really what you have to, all you can do is try to surround yourself with people mm-hmm. who you are motivated by, who inspire you, who are aligned with you because you know, you don't know who's going to grow. And it's so fun to do it together. It's so fun to like leverage each other's communities and, and be creative together and all of that. So I would say like, you know, even though you're starting out and you're like, but how do I get the, you know, the big guys? And it's like, it's okay. Start, start smaller, you know, start with people who you just really are connected with, who you really like, because people see that and they feel that kind of connection. So sliding into DMs. Yes. Just kind of slide on in there. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Hillary Duff, who could have ever imagine I was about to drop a collab with Hillary Duff? It just turned, it was honestly the same thing. It was like, I, I've been, I've been able to pitch lots of celebrities. I've been able to, but, but people that like Hillary, who truly loved the brand, like it wasn't that hard to convince her because she is something she wanted to do. She believed in it and she Mm -hmm. wanted to do it just because she wanted to be creative and she wanted to work with other female founded businesses and she was energized by it. And like, that's the thing. It's like, and I, I like that. I set my sights super high there and it's been such an amazing experience. Like, you know, it it really has. You're following the energy. Like you really, I really hear you talking about following the energy and going with what's fun, what's aligned. Yes, it feels right. I have other, I have had other opportunities, um, to, to work with other, and it just, it didn't click. It didn't feel right. I feel like you have to trust your gut, you know, and, and listen to your gut and know like, yes, this, this, this feels good. It feels real, I guess. Which I think is something that women have been, uh, 
put up to almost doubt in themselves, right? It's like, you don't know enough, you don't have enough business experience, or you have to think about it this way, as opposed to, hey, there's an energy exchange here. And there's a feeling and following that will be absolutely beautiful and can work really well for your business. I know when we talked, Ashley, we also talked about this idea around um, women often not talking about money and not sharing that. And I had asked you if you're sharing how much revenue you guys are now (laughs) making and what's your growth been like. And I want to dive into that conversation. So one, hit us with that amazing number. And then two, let's talk about why we don't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's something that I've been doing a lot of reflecting on actually recently, like, I've really been diving deep into like, these, these, these feelings of sort of insecurity as uh, a woman in business. And, and I mean, if you've been following lately on Instagram, I'm kind of posing these questions to the community of like, do you change the way you speak when you talk to a man, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a man on email? Do you, how do you feel about being referred to as a CEO? You know, do you feel proud mm-hmm. about that? Do you feel categorized? Do you feel like, how do you feel about that? And, and so there's all these kinds of interesting, you know, things that we grapple with, I think. And one of them is just, like I said, that insecurity of like, you know, feeling like, have I made it? Am I going to make it? You know, it's a scary thing to be an entrepreneur. It's really scary. And I think what we, we grapple with that whole imposter syndrome of like, what, mm-hmm. why am I here? Do I deserve this? Is this luck? This is luck. Like I, I mm-hmm. you know, um, and, it's, and the shoe's about to fall and where is it going to totally, fall? This is how I live my life and it's okay. It's okay. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs feel that way. And like, and you know, it's about that fear that we feel and it's about channeling that fear instead. And actually for me, it's been, it's been embracing the fear to go, okay, no, I know that when I'm this scared, it means I'm on a, out on a limb. And when I'm out on a limb, it means that I'm changing and evolving into like, you know, a new form of myself or a better form of myself. So it's like, for me, been recognizing that fear and being like, okay, it's okay. And trying to change the mindset. Sometimes you just friggin' anxiety, like anxious is all hell and need a big glass of wine or whatever you need to just mm-hmm. unwind, you know, and that's okay too. But, but I think, you know, for me, it is a scary thing. And it's almost like if you say your revenue or if you, if you, you know, then you're saying it out loud and then the other shoe's going to drop, you know, you're like, you're, you're, you're jinxing it. Like, um, and it's, and it's interesting. And I don't know the question. I don't know whether or not, you know, male leaders struggle with that same thing. I I don't know. I I don't know the answer to it. I just know that I have. And, and I think, you know, now we're, we finished last year and I, I, I don't want to say exact numbers because we haven't closed out our fiscal entirely, but you know, over well over 15 million in revenue for the year. And, and we're going hard. We have big growth goals um, for this year. I think we're going to, I think we're going to meet them or beat them. Um, but um, you know, and it's, and it's still hard for me to say that. And I remember, but if you don't say it, you know, you don't really get to come, you don't get to like, come to the table. And I think that's mm-hmm. the realization I had was like, you know, we weren't applying for awards. We weren't applying because I it was like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to tell people like, I, that's weird. You know? And also people, I know I talked to you about this before, but people don't understand like how expensive it is also to run a business. So they think like, Oh, the business <laughs> you made over 50. Oh, you must be like balling. And you're like, no, like, well, if, you know, revenue like, is not profit, not profit <laughs> and you have, especially in the growth stage. Yes. And it's like a lot to reinvest back in the business. There's facilities. We're growing like crazy. We're moving into over 10,000 square feet. We were in like, you know, 4,000 square feet. We grew all of a sudden, I think we have just shy of 40 employees, which is crazy because it used to be me and Murr wrapping rompers, you know, those things, they cost, 
money. So, um, and then not to mention the cost of goods and all of those things. So, um, I think it's just, it's a vulnerable place to be, you know, to, mm-hmm. to admit it out loud. And, um, but you got to own it too. And it's okay to, it's like, this is something I'm trying to teach myself. It's okay to celebrate. It's okay. Like you can take mm-hmm. a second and be like, good job, Ash. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean like you're showing like a vulnerability. It's okay. Just for a moment to stop and be like, mm-hmm you did good. You really did. And I think, and you know, we don't, and it's also enough. not the, it's also not the an only indicator of your worth or your exactly. value or what you're bringing into the world, because certainly it is not. And, and you know, it's, that's a really good point. Cause I think that's also what brings that fear in entrepreneurs is because we think that if we're not going to, if we fail, like we're a failure, you know, like mm-hmm. if our business doesn't do well, then we're a failure. And that's not the case. You know, it's the, it's just like, it's tenacity. It's that resilience. I get people say no to me all the time. Literally, I like get kicked. Okay, let's stick with this money thing for one more second. And what I want to talk about is pricing. You shared a really great philosophy that you had around this, which is act as if you're going to be a big deal, the big deal that you will be. Mm -hmm. Where has that mindset come from for you? And like, how do you bring it to life? Like, and how, and obviously as your business has grown, I'm sure you've had to look at that too from your costing perspective. So walk us through that. Yeah. I mean, that's always the piece of advice I give and I'm not by any means suggesting I'm a big deal. Um, but I think that to act like you're a big deal makes a lot of sense because if you don't and you treat it like it's a hobby from the beginning, you could be unraveling a bunch um, of issues later on things like trademarking things like your accounting, you know, things like that kind of stuff is really tough. Like you don't want to do a rebrand three years down the line because you didn't consider the fact that maybe one day when you were a big deal, you would want to get into this sector or you'd want to do this thing. And so I always say like, just dream big, you know, it's part of that, like, um, advisors around me. And I think it's really hard when you don't, because you have to kind of, I think you can pick up from that stuff by listening to podcasts, by reading as much as you can about people starting businesses so that you don't make the same mistakes because why would you when you can learn from somebody else? Mm-hmm. And I've seen it time and time again where people, for example, think they have the best brand and it is a great brand, but then, uh-oh, turns out someone is in the space and, uh-oh, there's a trademark violation and you better, you have a mm-hmm. year to rebrand your whole brand, you know? And that is expensive and exhausting and worrisome and all of those things. So I think like for me, I had my, you know, my mom who's been a businesswoman um, my whole life. You know, I had um, uh, other family members around me that, that were entrepreneurial, you know, that were like, no, you need to incorporate and you need to trademark and unit. So I was really lucky that we did all of that stuff and we weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. There's still stuff I would have done differently. Um, for example, we talked about the Sunday romper and a lot of people don't know this, but I just thought it was a really fun name. Like I just thought on a Sunday, you kind of like romp around. And so I was like, Oh, let's call it a Sunday romper. But actually when we started digging into like SEO and looking at what that meant, a romper is not at all what we like a romper traditionally is a short little almost kind of lingerie right like little piece mm-hmm. so for seo we would have been way better off to call ourselves like a jumpsuit you know or even a onesie um but so <laughs> you learn these things as you go so yeah like hold on to that possibility yeah. and design and build for that i love that you talked about the things like incorporating and trademarks because there can be this tension where you almost don't want to think about those nitty-gritty pieces and they can feel like they're bogging you down or bringing you down, especially if you don't have that mentorship or advice. But there truly are so many resources that you can access around that, that someone can sit down with you and go, okay, here are like the four things
things you need to do, do these basic pieces, move through them, and then continue and let your creativity drive. Yeah. And I think you asked about pricing too. And like that was, we had to go through a reprice, we had to recost because we were like, wait a minute, we're actually not charging enough to cover you know, X, Y, Z. So early on, we had to change our price. We had to raise it up. And I think too, like 99% of the community that's already following you will be like, I support this. Of course, they're doing this for a reason, you know, and there may be people Mm -hmm. that like disagree and that's okay. But like, you have to take that risk. But, you know, really doing your costing, like figuring out what does it cost to make this thing you know, really making sure. And it's not too late. Like if you're really like, if you're losing money or you're leaving money on the table, like you got to rethink it and people, you know, your core loyal people, they're going to understand that you're not doing it just for fun. You know, you're doing it Mm -hmm. so you can make a successful business and keep bringing the product that they love. I know there's a reason I'm here. I know that like I'm on the forefront. Like this is the fashion industry is huge here. So it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to grind it out. I like before COVID, I went to every single event. I went to every, I'm meeting everyone, like trying to like spread the romper revolution. And, um, and it's an interesting cause in a, in the place of, you know, celebrity and plastic surgery and all of it, it's like, it's kind of a interesting message to be, um, <laughs> spreading, but people, people are open to it. I think they're into it, especially with COVID. So. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Last question I want to ask you is if you were talking to an entrepreneur who's like, you know, on the roller coaster and is currently maybe on a dip and is like, what, how are we going to get through this? Maybe COVID could hit them really hard. What words of encouragement would you share with them? You know, I think I always say like, I'm not any, I don't think I'm any smarter than anybody. I don't think I'm, you know, had a particular schooling that helped me get anywhere. I think all I am is really tenacious. And I think all like, you know, entrepreneurs have that in common. There's, there's a, uh, a can't get me down kind of attitude, a relentlessness, you know, that I think will serve us well. So even if you're in that dip, it's time to maybe reimagine it. It's time to maybe throw yourself off balance. Like I talked about finding that sort of fear and, and, and reframing it for yourself and going, you know what? Yeah, I'm in a low right now, but I know I'll get into a high. And here's some creative ways that I can do that and things that maybe never thought of before and reaching out to for help. Like I, you know, I, I honestly think there's something about, you know, entrepreneurs where we're just like, we have to do this on our own. Um, but that's so not true. We have to have all the answers yeah. and we have to do it all on our it's, own and get it perfect before we start. Exactly. And it's so not true because, you know, even the, I, I have these informal people that like a mentor that reach out to me, but it's, I hate saying mentoring because honestly, it's like, it's such a, it's such like a given, like, I feel just as Mm -hmm. much from the session as that person does. Like they want to know specifically things from me. Um, but then I'm like digging around, like, well, what are you doing? And how have you, you know, I learned so much from that experience that, um, I will say just reach out for help. Like, reach out to the people that you think you have something to learn from and and just ask them to have a conversation. I mean, you could, I, I'm so lucky that like in Vancouver that I feel is a particularly entrepreneurial city. I really do, mm-hmm. especially like female founded, like strong businesses. Um, mm-hmm. I was welcomed with open arms. Honestly, I have nothing but good great like things to say about how I've been treated by my friends like a Miriam Alden at Brunette the Label who was in the industry much longer than I was and like totally you know chatted with me talked to me now she reps smash and test um we do collabs together like you know it's okay like you can reach out and just ask questions and and make friendships because why make the same mistake when you could have avoided it from the beginning so 
Okay, Ashley, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you. My only wish is that we had done it poolside. I but, know. I, Next but, time, you know, girl. Maybe, maybe the borders will work on that for us. <laughs> soon. April 30th, apparently. You're what we're still locked into. Ugh. But as soon as it lifts, you got to come down. Yeah, we'll have uh, poolside mimosas. It'll be. I am there. Yeah. I am there. Okay, as we sign off, can you tell us where people can follow you, find you online? Yeah, you can follow me. Um, my Instagram, my personal Instagram is at a freeborn. But of course, you can follow us over at smash test is our handle. Um, and smash test.com or .ca depending if you're Canada or worldwide. Amazing. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Salima and Ashley for the amazing conversation today. Our mission at the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs is to amplify the voices of Canadian women entrepreneurs across all platforms. Typically, this time would be used as an ad or sponsor spot, but we've decided to dedicate the next 60 seconds to a woman-owned business in Canada to share their vision. Let's have a listen. Hey, the GoTo podcast listeners. It's Eve here from Eve's Crackers. I want to tell you a little bit about our Canadian company. Eve's crackers are made with flaxseed sourced from Manitoba and only whole food ingredients that you could find in your own pantry. After all, our recipes were developed in my home kitchen using everyday ingredients that I found in my pantry. This means you won't find anything weird or an ingredient that you can't pronounce in our crackers. They are gluten-free, vegan, and keto-friendly, making them a snack that everyone can enjoy. Today, we are giving you 20% off your order of Eve's crackers with the promo code FWE20. Hop over to evescrackers.com and type in promo code FWE20 for 20% off your order. Thank you so much for supporting our Canadian company. Thank you for spending time with us and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to leave no woman behind. Explore more about this episode and learn how to get plugged into our community by visiting theforum.ca slash discover and on our socials at theforum.ca. Thank you again to the Scotiabank Women Initiative and remember to visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join now to find out how to join. Huge thanks also to the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada for your support. And last but certainly not least, thank you to our incredible production team, Self-Hired Media. This podcast is also available in French, thanks to our incredible translation team at Hummingbird Translations. See you next time.